0: This is Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. We've got another uh, exciting show. We've got another New York Times bestselling author coming on board. It's uh, Cy Montgomery. Cy's going to talk to us a little bit about her um, latest book, The Hawk's Way. You probably know Cy best from her uh, New York uh, Times bestselling book, and all the other wonderful, wonderful uh, writing she does, especially about all the critters she writes about. So we're going to be excited to talk to Cy about that, talk to her a little bit about how this book, The Hawk's Way, compares to uh, her famous book, The Soul of an Octopus, and uh, get into a little bit about how she goes about mastering her craft. So we're going to put her feet to the fire. No, we won't make it easy for her. <laughs> so everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining us now is the New York Times bestselling author of uh, The Soul of an Octopus. Talk to us about our latest book, The Hawk's Way. We've got Cy Montgomery coming on board. Cy, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I'm delighted to be on. We're thrilled to have you on, and uh, it's always exciting uh, to see uh, your, your books and what, uh, what I call critters, as we'll say, uh, since I'm uh, sort of Southern here, that you have in the books, and we know you, you're a master of your craft as well. But I want to talk a little bit about The Hawk's Way, Encounters with Fierce Beauties. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, the book and how it came about. Well, I
1: suppose I didn't know I was writing a book at the time, but it really began when my husband was listening to the radio and heard an ad. For a new thing in New Hampshire. It was called the New Hampshire School of Falconry. And knowing that I loved all critters, he thought, gee, I got to tell Sai about this. So I called up the school, and with my friend Celinda Chicoin, I was Nancy Cowan, Master Falconer's first student at the school. <laughs> and little did I know how different my experience with hawks was going to be from. All the other animals that I have worked with. I have been writing about animals for 30 or 40 years. And I've written about tigers and cheetahs and tarantulas and octopuses, pigs and bears. and Oh my, right? <laughs> yeah, oh my, exactly. <laughs> but never before had I met a creature like the Harris hawk that I found perched on my borrowed falconry glove. Inches from my face was this amazing creature with eyes twice as big as as her brain, with bright yellow feet equipped with razor sharp black talons and a very sharp beak capable of tearing through flesh. And here she was right on my fist. I had not known anything like this and within five minutes of my first lesson i'm holding her i'm holding jazz who is a, a harris hawk my instructor is holding banshee a peregrine my friend is holding a Lanner falcon well less than five minutes into the lesson the peregrine bites nancy in the face and she starts bleeding onto, onto, the, onto the grass and People are driving by. We're walking down a country road. Nobody thinks anything of this, you know, um, and I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> what <laughs>
0: have I got myself into here. Now, was it a quick bite or did he just hang on? Because I, I think they typically will hang on until they, they uh, realize what they're doing.
1: Yes. Um, with when they foot you, they often clutch. And can't do anything about it. You can't get them off. But with their bite, it was a quick bite. It was kind of like being hit in the face with a staple gun, she said. And she's kind of used to this. She doesn't get <laughs> footed and bitten all the time, but she says, oh, you know, Banshee's just being a brat and continues walking down the street. And this is a, a hawk that, you know, she cared for and fed and and raised and normally you know the animals that we live with don't bite us in the face causing us to gush blood in front of the first two students of your school so i realized these creatures are fierce and they are fierce in a way unlike the ferocity that you even see in tigers and and lions and other mammals they are very different from us what they are i realized is that they are living dinosaurs and they are absolutely pure wildness they are savagery without any evil but all they want to do the thing that gives them the most delight is to hunt and capture prey and i realized then as a a non i'm not a hunter i'm actually have been a vegetarian for decades and decades and decades My mother was a hunter, she hunted squirrels and ate them, but I have never wanted to kill someone who wanted to be alive so I could eat them because I can eat a broccoli, but they can't eat a broccoli and they love the chase. And I realized that if I ever wanted to get close to this magnificent creature that I was already crazy in love with, what I had to do was make myself worthy of being her junior hunting partner. And that's
0: what falconry is about. Very interesting. Well, I was going to ask you about falconry. You know, we hear, at least I've heard about it. I'm sure most people have heard about it. But, you know, for the novice, I would assume most people think, of a falcon, you know, uh, you know, parrican falcon, that's the one we know and hear about, but it really covers a broad range of things because you're saying it, it's hawks and it's basically, it's a, a terminology that covers a lot of different types of birds. So what is the terminology and, and what spectrum does it cover?
1: It covers all the birds of prey, really. Although um, people, falconers don't really want to hunt with owls, for example, not because owls aren't wonderful and smart and cool and magical, but mainly they eat mice and most falconers don't want to eat mice. And also they hunt at night and our eyes are not made to do that. So falconers generally, although they can handle owls, they don't hunt with owls. Some falconers hunt with eagles enormous eagles which are capable of of chasing and taking down wolves in mongolia for example oh my gosh um, and then there's little little tiny known as a sparrow hawk the kestrel some people will will hunt with little tiny kestrels but they're not going to bring back big prey that a person is interested in eating but it's it, obviously falconers these days don't hunt with their birds because they've got to find a great way to, to kill something to eat because they could just go to the grocery store if they wanted. They're doing the sport to be close to their birds and get to do this thing that these birds do so beautifully and be part of their circle of, of desire to serve them.
0: It's quite amazing, and when you say actual hunt, you know, uh, you know. Once again, if I, if I put my novice hat on, because I'm not an expert here, but I know a little bit about it, uh, you're you're talking about hunting. I mean, using it as if um, lack of better terminology, as if you went hunting with a gun or a bow and arrow. You're using right, actually right. the falcon or you know, hawk in this category to actually do the hunting, do the kill, and take the the prize, basically.
1: Right, which totally shocked me because this is not something that I would normally be interested in at all. But I was so in love with at first sight with this incredible bird and with its wildness that I could overcome that deep ambiguity that I felt and just wanted to, to join this bird in doing what it was really made to do, which had no trace of Evil or ego in it at all. This bird is not out for some trophy that it's going to mount. This bird, although birds, of course, have free will as we do, our free will, like theirs, has constraints. And for a bird of prey, you can't decide, I think I'll have kale instead. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have got to hunt a living creature and you've got to kill it with your face and your feet.
0: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, the the hawk may be my spirit guide, which it is one of my spirit guides, but uh, yeah, I agree with it. I'm not going to go for the kale. That's it. I, <laughs> I'm not a hunter, but you're not going to see me eating kale either. So
1: right, right, <laughs> and, you know it's so funny when we watch nature shows, which I'm sure you do, like I do. Um, you're, you know, you're watching the wildebeest and like run, wildebeest, run! Yes, the horrible yes. lion is going after you. And then the next week, it's like the life of the lion, and the lioness has got cubs, and she's got to get that wildebeest. And you're like, get that wildebeest, kill that wildebeest. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, you're on a different side.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, in the book, then, The Hawk's Way, because, you know, this covers it perfectly, in, at least in my mind, because, you know, obviously I saw the title and I thought, oh, you know, as I mentioned, I've been on several um, quests in my life doing shamanic uh, training, these type of things, and the hawk is my spirit guide. But when I think of hawk, I think of, you know, what is common, the red tail hawk, which is fairly mm-hmm. common in North America, definitely down here in the South. Yeah, yeah, we see uh, Cooper's hawks quite often down here, but you know it's rare that we see a, a, any sort of falcon type. So when I saw the um, uh, the title, I thought, oh, okay, well, it's going to be a nice little story about you know teach me about hawks. You know what? Well, it did, and it taught me a lot more it, the hunting aspect and, and the things that how their nature goes about. So for someone that's, that's picking this book up off the shelf or ordering the book, what should they expect? I mean, how do you walk that fine line of letting them know, hey, this is what it's all about, but here's why, you know we have to understand and appreciate it.
1: Well, I mean, I think all of my books are at heart love stories, and there's stories of surprise and transformation. And that's what this book really is. What I was trying to do by practicing the the art and sport of falconry was I was trying to get as close as I could to what makes a hawk a hawk to get into, as close as I could, into a hawk's head, into its wildness to touch that fine, holy, sacred, fiery, incandescent wildness. And this is a book about touching wildness.
0: Very good. I like that. I like how you phrase that, and that's perfect. Because it uh, really gets you in touch with the not only the hawk itself, you know and its methods and how it goes about living and the importance of of its life, but it actually gets you in touch with its inner well, say so its inner soul with inner spirit as well.
1: Well, you've got quite a great spirit animal, I've got to say.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty good one. It it shows up whenever there's a a message to be delivered. And um, I usually stop at that point and I take a breath and and, uh, center myself and ask what it had to say. And usually there's some sort of messages come through. A lot of times it's clarity. I find that they give me clarity, something that I've been contemplating. It doesn't have to be great significance. You know, it it could be very simple what I've been contemplating, but I can't wrap my hands around what the answer is going to be. And all of a sudden they'll appear and the answer will then show itself. In some but fashion, that's
1: perfect because you know a hawk, a soaring hawk, sees everything because of their eyes. Their incredible eyes that make us with our eyes, which are really pretty good for the animal kingdom. Our eyes, we look like Mister Magoo compared to them. <laughs> you know, they have a million um, sight receptors in their eyes, and we have like a uh, couple hundred thousand. They see colors we cannot describe or imagine. They can see in detail over a space of two miles from a height of hundreds of feet and they see at a speed that we can't apprehend which is important because if you're for example a peregrine falcon you can dive through the sky at 240 miles an hour and you have to process what you see very quickly so when we look at for example a hummingbird's wing and we see a blur they see each individual wing beam. so if somebody is going to give you clarity That's the perfect animal, the animal who can see all from a distance.
0: That's right. That's right. And they see see from within, is how I like to look at it as well. They can sort of uh, see not only from a you know pure uh, scientific or or physicality standpoint, but also from an inner spirit standpoint,
1: right, Uh, and a metaphorical standpoint. I think a lot of these that 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 is a real facet of truth that some. Myths, for example, and stories in the Bible and Native American stories, they're not just so silly superstition stories to amuse children. They are talking about deeper truths, deeper truths than, you know, the factual natural history books.
0: Absolutely, yeah, spot on with that. So, if you had to say, uh, in we'll talk about the book and writing of the the book and your other works also here in a moment, but wanted to ask you about what was the big lesson you learned, other than the fact that whoa, there's a lot that goes into this. Was there a real aha moment, other and also other than your uh, uh, teacher getting bit <laughs> in the face? Boy, that's yeah. not a lesson you, That's that's a lesson you want to learn, but you don't want to learn.
1: <laughs> right? Exactly. Well. Know, I first had this experience quite a few years ago, and I wrote about it in a different book called Birdology. But when this book came out, I wrote an extended introduction. And with the hindsight granted by those years, I realized that what these hawks taught me was a higher form of love. That the Greeks said that there were four kinds of love there's eros, you know, erotic love, like Cupid love, and there's the love we have for our children, our children have for us, that's called storage. And then there's philios, from which we get the word philanthropy that we have with our, our friends and neighbors. But all of those wonderful kinds of love though they are, they're all kind of transactional because we expect something in return. But when you work with a hawk, you don't expect them to love you back the way that we expect Our pets to love us back, for example. They won't love you back the way a dog loves you back. They won't even love you back the way an octopus loves you back. It is a real different kind of thing. What you get out of your relationship with that hawk is you get the privilege of being near that creature the same way that you would love being near the sun. You don't expect the sun to love you back. And the same way that the Greeks talk about agape which has come in the Bible to mean the love that God has for us. He loves us no matter what. And the love we should have for the creator, not demanding that he or she do anything in particular for us. It's that love of life that doesn't demand something back. And that's what they showed me how to do.
0: Very nice. I love it. All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Uh, Then we'll come back and talk a little bit more with Sia Montgomery about her book, The Hawk's Way, and talk to her about writing in general, her writing styles, and how she crafts her art. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio, Pet Life Radio. .com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our conversation with New York Times best-selling author Cy Montgomery and her latest book, The Hawks Way, Encounters with Fierce Beauty. Now, Simon, when you uh, done and dusted the book and uh, sent it off to the editor for the twentieth time—well, maybe that's me—sent <laughs> it off to the editor. <laughs> when people pick up a copy of the book and read through it, what are you hoping they get from it? Is there a single message, or, or a multitude of messages you want to share?
1: Well, if it's one word, what I want people to feel is just the it, the awe at the wildness of these creatures. That's what I want people to understand. That overhead. When we see hawks on migration, it's like seeing tigers fly through the air. And we're seeing that right now because we up here in New Hampshire, we're getting the hawks that are migrating up from where they spend the winter in Colombia and Peru and Brazil. They're returning to us right now. And most of us, when we see a hawk, it's at a a bit of a distance. I mean, we're lucky if we get to see one at the edge of the road or perched on a tree near us but most of the time we see them there are specks somewhere but those specks are like glowing stars to realize what is going on in their hearts and minds and that we're surrounded by these creatures who are experiencing life in a way that we don't but nonetheless um is very very real it widens your world. So I guess that's what I want with all of my books to widen our world and to widen our capacity for compassion and wonder.
0: There you go. I love that. I love that. So take a moment, appreciate it and uh, let it absorb into you. I, b- I believe is the way I'll look at it and uh, not just take it for granted because it's, uh, there's a lot of stories to be told from them and a lot of lessons to be learned for sure. Now, let's get down to the writing aspect of it for this book and other books. I mean, you've written, uh, you've been involved in documentaries, screenwriting, you've written here, I didn't even realize this, 31 books, which is amazing. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, I think
1: it's actually 33 now, but 33. I'm not updating the Wikipedia thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So when you put together this book, was there any particular challenges? Could you lean on some of the previous work that you've done and sort of go from there? Or did you just let it, let it flow from your heart?
1: Well, part of this book was uh, lived several years ago. And the part I had to work on the hardest really was the introduction that kind of put it all into perspective. Having lived through the onset of the the pandemic and all of the division that that was facing our our country, I was particularly grateful to realize that the Hawks had shown me a deeper, purer way to love because that's what we so hunger for right now. I think we all do always, as human beings, as part of the natural world. We want to still be connected with the rest of animate creation. We yearn for that. But I think um, the pandemic and some of the divisions that we've faced politically make that hunger even sharper. And it allows our relationships with the other animals on our planet be that more powerful and sweet and healing.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I think you're right. You know, when we talked about the uh, the pandemic that we are going through still, I guess, uh, to uh, some degree, but you know, in the early days especially, when we uh, were forced to sort of change our modalities of uh, ways of doing things on a daily basis and got out into nature more. I would hope that people slow down a little bit. Me too. To and I around. hope
1: people stay, you know, continue to go Outside and realize that you know human beings, human beings are great. I mean, I married one, I have a number of friends who are human <laughs> beings, but we're not the only creatures that we're meant to be interacting with. We're we're just one species. And if we restrict ourselves to only paying attention to one species. That's just so pathetic. It's, it's like, you know, if you only listen to one song or you only ate one food or you only had, you know, one kind of friend who was exactly your age, exactly your sex, exactly your income group or education level or whatever. Life is so much richer when you have friends across the taxa.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. And our animal friends are definitely uh, some of our best friends. Uh, So definitely uh, take the time, everybody, and uh, take a breath. Take a look around. Watch uh, the hawks and the falcons and the uh, other animals, other birds flying around just uh, to be in the moment. Let's talk to you about writing in general. Uh, When you go to sit down and uh, create a book... Are you a uh, up at 530 in the morning every day type person? Uh, are you a 50,000 or 5,000 word a day person? Or are you like me and you've got about a month before deadline, you've got to get something out? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, gosh. Well, you know, my, I wait until I have finished my research before I actually start writing a book. Because I might find on my last day of research something that puts everything in perspective. I was trained as a journalist. And the one thing as a journalist you don't want to do is have your mind made up before you go in and start writing your your story. And I found working with animals, um, certainly this is the case, I think, working with all nonfiction, the best part. Is when you get bowled over with surprise. And every time I am surprised, and it changes everything. Look like looking at one of those magic eye drawings when suddenly, bam, <laughs> it comes into focus. So when I'm working on a book for many months at a time, the writing that I'm I'm doing isn't, you know, chapter one, page six, but I'm coming back from an experience which might be, you know, I do a lot of travels overseas. So maybe I'm writing by flashlight at night in my field diary. And I try to write like, what was the thing that I learned that day? Or what was the theme of that day? So um, in doing this book with falconry, I would come, come back from a, a lesson with Nancy Cowan, and immediately get on the computer and write you know, what all happened that day? What did I What did I learn? What was What was jazz like? What was smoke like? What was fire like? What did I learn from Banshee? Um, did I meet a, a new hawk that day? If I interviewed another falconer, you know, what did they tell me? If I did some research online or if I I read another falconry book, you know, what really stood out for me? I can always go back to those notes and lop out whole paragraphs and sometimes they are verbatim in your book but i don't know at the time that i'm writing chapter three paragraph seven i later decide where it all goes and you know when i get up and what i do these days my border collie kind of takes (laughs) precedence we've had three border collies and this guy his name is thurber he's seven and the very first thing that has to happen after I feed him and I feed my husband is we have to go for a at least you know an hour hike in the woods. And that's a great way to get your mind ready, get your mind peaceful and focused and happy.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Now, you're lucky that you guys, it doesn't go more like feed the dog go for the walk because the dog forces you to and won't leave you alone until you get done and then come back and eat. That's, that's sort of the way it is in my house. I, maybe I've done something wrong here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh well,
1: you're so, when we had more animals, you know, of course, I had to feed the pig and I had to feed the chickens and I, you know, I had to take care of the birds. And right now all I've, I've got, I've got my Thurber and um, I have as house guests who are going to be released into the wild. A week from Friday, I have four paint wild um, painted turtles who I've been head starting with a permit from the state, and so of course they they
0: eat too, before all of this stuff. That's right. Off. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, wonderful. Well, everybody, go out and pick up a copy of the book, The Hawk's Way. Side, tell us a little bit about where people can uh, find out more about you, get your books, uh, see if there's anything on the itinerary, any any activities you got going on.
1: Boy, well, you know, a lot of book tours got canceled in the past few years because you organize, the publisher organizes the book tour months before the book comes out. And months ago, um, there was really no predicting what COVID was going to do. So I'm I'm not doing a lot of travels, but you can get the book just about anywhere in in an independent bookstore is probably stocking it. But if they aren't, just ask the person at the bookstore to order it and that no extra charge, they're happy to order it. And of course, it's online as well. Folks can find out more about me. They can visit my website, simontgomery.com S like Sam, Y like Yankee. And um, boy, I'm mostly reaching out to readers through programs like this.
0: So there you go. I'm just
1: so grateful to be connecting with all of your listeners.
0: We appreciate you coming on board. We'll definitely get the message out there. It's a wonderful book all the way around. Everything you do is wonderful, and it's uh, really gives me insight. I'm waiting for the 34th and 35th. I, I you know, there's probably <laughs> what uh, maybe 20,000 different types of animals in the world. So you got a lot of writing ahead of you. <laughs> I got
1: to take my vitamins and live a long time. That's it. Get to that, right? You
0: got to cover them all. So once again, everybody, pick up a copy of the book. It's called "The Hawk's Way: Encounters with Fierce Beauty," from New York Times bestselling author Simon. Montgomery. Sai, thanks so much again for coming on the show. Congratulations on another successful book, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting with you some more down the road. Thanks so much. I'll look forward to that too. Absolutely. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas from the show or just want to drop a note saying, hey, I want to hear from someone, uh, my favorite author, drop us a note. You can go to PetLifeRadio.com and we'll definitely answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful uh, shows and hosts. It's a or a of great entertainment, especially about animals. Who can go wrong with that? So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life, in a book, an article, a blog, and who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.